Welcome to Godpod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre in London, based at Holy Trinity Brompton. Mike Lloyd and Jane Williams join me, Graham Tomlin, in talking about theology, life, God, and just about everything else. Welcome, everybody, to Godpod 37. And uh, for those of you who haven't heard of Godpod for a little while, sorry we haven't been around, but um, we were on holiday, weren't we? Well, you were. <laughs> I, was, I was doing important things, like getting married. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Mike got married since we last oh, yeah, had a Godpod. Yes, yes. You can't really see the ring on yeah. over the radio or over the computer. Or but we should say a, a sort of communal congratulations to Mike. Thank you very much. And commiserations to Abby. Well, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> she, she seems to be bearing up under the strength. <laughs> but it's early enough. days, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jay, for that. Good. Cassandra-like comment. I can't say that I've exactly been on holiday either, really. No, I know no, a lot of been... people think that um, they, what they really like is to spend their summer with 800 Anglican bishops and their spouses from around the community. <laughs> and it was indeed very exciting, but not what you'd call restful. Exactly. Not really a holiday, the Lambeth Conference, not is it? Not really, no. Yeah, good. Well, it'd be great to... We, we can talk more about that sometime, but, um, but uh, we're glad you survived, Jane. I did more than survived, and, and yes, it was wonderful. But yes, I'll tell you all about it another time. Very good. So you have to listen in to another Godpod to hear that story. But um, today, well, Godpod moves on every time, and uh, we actually are now in a different place. We normally sit in a sort of broom cupboard in HTB in London. We're now in a proper studio, which has been created for us. Not just for us, but um, we, we use it, which is very good. And the wonderful Keith, who does our audio stuff, is... Um, we can see him. We can see a, him now, which makes, glass. makes him less like God in that way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we used to be able to hear his voice, but not see him. <laughs> and now we see him face to face. Um, we still haven't given him a biscuit, though. No, we haven't. No, that's true. Keith, would you like a biscuit? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, left. that'd be too generous. <laughs> anyway, we have two nor- two extra people beyond our normal threesome today, and uh, one is we're very glad to welcome um, our new New Testament tutor at St Paul's Theological Centre, Chris Tilling. Hello. Chris, great to see you. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, so Chris has come on board to teach New Testament, so he'll be he'll be involved in some of these God pods in in the future. And um, it's nice to have someone who knows a bit about the Bible around. The place. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, uh, he's also he also is a is a is a kind of consummate blogger. Yeah. Tell us about your blog. Yeah, a bit obsessive compulsive with the keyboard, I'm afraid. Yeah, I run this blog called Christendom. I'm sure listeners may have heard of it before. Christendom uh, without a T. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I can't represent the whole of Christendom, so deleted <laughs> T was a good idea. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's mainly focused on the New Testament, but I mm. throw in a load of baloney as well. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's good. So if you're interested in that, you might go to what's it? Christendom dot Christendom. No, it's it's no? Uh, no. www de forward slash blog no, forward slash <laughs> just google it blog <laughs> dot html just google it for christendom and chris why, why did you get into blogging what's the great attraction of blogging well i got into blogging to keep up with my friends in england actually and it sort of morphed into a new testament because you were in blog. germany at the time i was in germany at the time yeah but you know you blog about your interests and if new testament is what you're passionate about it comes out eventually and mm. slowly took off yeah, under a different name, which I won't mention here. <laughs> sounds, sounds like it. Well, Chris is hot foot from Tubingen in Germany, where he's been hobnobbing with um, 
Maybe like Jungle and <laughs> Jürgen Moltmann and other such well, luminaries. Theologians. <laughs> that's right, they are. They are. That's right, they are. But anyway, um, so Chris is, is becoming part of the home team a bit. And um, But we have a special guest today who is uh, Stephen Backhouse. Hello. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. Hello. Very good to have you with us. Stephen is, um, uh, has been a friend for a while and uh, has uh, done some teaching for us at SBTC. But he's also... He's, um, been um, finishing off a, a thesis, a doctorate, which he's been working mm-hmm. towards over the last few years. Finished, well, he's writing it yesterday, yesterday. apparently. Finished yesterday. Yeah. Which is a wonderful, it's like stopping banging your head against a wall, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing. It's wonderful when it's Well, it, except I kind of want to keep banging now because I just don't know what else to do with myself. I just <laughs> need to keep writing. I don't yeah, know. We'll right. think of something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Withdrawal. We could yeah. come in handy at this point. That's right. So, um, and that's been at Oxford University. You've been doing that yep. for a number of years. And so, um, Stephen, tell us about what your thesis has been about, because it's a really interesting topic, and it would be good to talk about that today. Uh, well, the th- actual thesis of my uh, title of my thesis is a bit of a conversation stopper at parties, because the title was <laughs> A Kierkegaardian Critique of Christian Nationalism. Mm-hmm. And when I say that at parties, I see people's eyes glaze over. <laughs> and then I quickly say, ah, but what it really is about is, should Christians be patriots? Okay. And is patriotism a Christian virtue? Yeah. And uh, do their eyes not unglaze Exactly. Over that and, and, and then if they are still a little bit glazed, I say, well, what do you think about George Bush then? And you know, usually can find out then that there's somebody has an opinion they can tell yeah, that okay. yeah. um, there are things in the world today yeah. that are relevant to my thesis. Now, you, you said it's a Kierkegaardian critique. Um, or look at, looking at the Kierkegaardian critique. Now, just for our people who don't know much about uh, Mr. Kierkegaard, do you tell us a little bit about right. um, about him and um, and why he was a good Danish? person to to ha- take you forward on this topic? Exactly. Well, first of all, Kierkegaard uh, Soren Kierkegaard was lived in Denmark. Uh, he died in 1855, and um, he mostly wrote under lots of pseudonyms. But really, his main aim was to reintroduce Christianity into Christendom. Christendom with a T. Um, And the reason he wrote under different pseudonyms is because he realized that the the overwhelmingly Christian culture that he lived in, which was sophisticated cultural European Denmark, everybody there already thought they were Christians because they were white or they were Danish or they were European. And uh, so he wrote under lots of pseudonyms to try and uh, prick people's conscience to get them to think perhaps to see things from a different point of view. And he, his pseudonyms would represent the different types of people you find in Christendom. And mm. he would write under these different voices in order to get people to think about uh, some of their assumptions, perhaps, that they'd, mm. that they'd had. So wh- wh- why did you get interested in the issue of nationalism and patriotism? Was, was your interest primarily there, or was it primarily in Kierkegaard? Well, it was when himself? I was reading, at the end of his life, Kierkegaard wrote, as I said, he wrote under these pseudonyms, and he was quite sort of gentle and, and sideways the way he approached things. But by the end of his life, I think he got a bit fed up with the fact that people weren't really paying attention to his writings in the way he wanted them to. We all feel that sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> and he so he he he, he actually written. <laughs> <laughs> so he took off the pseudonyms, and he just started writing under his own name. And he this is where he became very overtly Christian, and also where he became very polemical about. Christian culture Hmm. and he wrote a series of pamphlets which together were called The Attack Upon Christendom and uh, that, I was reading that and I thought, this was written in 1855 and it yet seems to have relevance to movements and Christian cultures that I see around me today. Yeah. So that's what started the gears turning in my head. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I thought, well, we do actually have various cultures that as- mm. assume they're Christian. Here in the UK, mm. probably about 70% of the population in the last census said they were Christian. Yep. Which, if you scratch that a little bit further, you basically find out that's because they say they're English mm. or they're yeah. Scottish or sure. they're white. Yeah. And, th- and that kind of thing. Yeah. And also in America, obviously, that's a, that's a key place. And it's true around the world. I mean, Mike, Jane and I just come back from the Philippines where we were filming some of our lectures for use later on and um and again there's a fascinating place which is sort of 85 percent well it's probably over 90 percent christian in name mm. um probably 75 percent mm. roman catholic um you know about eight percent protestant groups and and uh and yet we were hearing quite add up, one of the no no okay <laughs> over 80 <80%. laughs> percent massive never my strong point um but you know we were also hearing one of the maybe most corrupt countries in southeast asia yeah uh, and as a result places like hong kong and singapore have massively overtaken the philippines and 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 so there's a that kind of raises a question in itself as well doesn't it you know a country can be deeply christian in one sense but that doesn't always play out in national life and public life yeah and kicker brought it down to really he was saying i'm not trying to make you all christians i'm just trying to make you be honest with what yeah. what it is you actually are mm-hmm. i mean he his idea was we need to clear the decks before we can start again and yeah. Uh, let's be I, honest with where we are, actually. And, and how successful was he? I mean, did, did people say... Oh, he lost. He, right. lo- he lost the battle. Totally okay. lost the people battle. People just carried on saying, I'm Christian. Yeah, yeah. One of his Not main opponents was, which which is why I'm interested in nationalism, one of his main opponents was, was a chap who was a real overtly Danish nationalist who really combined Christianity and nationalism. And then he would write things like, you know, God has brought Denmark to this place in history now to be God's hands and mouth for the world and he said uh, Danish was was the language of heaven you know God spoke in Danish and that kind of he, he used that Good kind job of that language didn't work, didn't it? <laughs> uh, and Kierkegaard thought this was ridiculous thought it was blasphemous idolatrous all sorts of things uh, and yet actually culturally speaking he probably lost that battle um, but yeah. his works remained for other people to pick up later on. So if you were going to unpack that for because I don't think many people um, would take quite that line anymore would they and say our nation our culture our language is um is the one that god chooses wow. um yeah. you, from d- the welsh don't they? well but, that, but that's true then <laughs> in their case, isn't it? so that's all right um uh well again i th- i think we need to look at i think that actually you're you're wrong because i was just yesterday reading a chap who was saying that about america yeah. about america yeah, right? you can find anything on the internet I've yeah. read this too. God needs one nation all the time. God needs one nation, one language, and now it's America, not yeah. Israel. I read yeah. on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not dissimilar to noises that are coming from the presidential candidates as, as well mm. in terms of the unique mm. role that, mm. and the force for good mm. that uh, America is. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is an yeah. idea that, that kind of crosses... Uh, political boundaries mm. it? and it's it's pretty deep-seated in the culture mm. even amongst people who don't think they're christians mm-hmm. in america they do think that they're a, a unique nation. chosen nation yeah. um and what i found interesting because i don't want to be sort of anti-american about it i just want to put it in context and say i noticed that the the rhetoric that you find in america now is almost word for word exactly what victorian empire yes. rhetoric mm. was using mm. which interestingly was very similar to the kind of rhetoric i'm i was reading about denmark I mean, if little old Denmark thinks they're the chosen nation and then England thinks they're the chosen nation and mm. Spain mm. thought it was the chosen nation, mm. clearly mm. we've got a pattern here which, yeah. which well, it needs was, it was looking at. Deeply embedded in the whole, because you know, within America with the Pilgrim Fathers and the sort of Puritan 
kind of um, escape from from England. Now, there's quite a strong sense in Puritanism of of, of, of people being sort of like the chosen nation. And you do find it in yeah. that way. You, you find it a little bit in, in sort of older sort of South African attitudes of, of yeah. white South Africans being somewhere special, different, you know, chosen, um, which, which again carries some of that same slightly sort of Calvinist predestined um, kind of idea hmm. of a particular people being sort of chosen and therefore special. And, and that seems to have sort of seeped into the the kind of American psyche yeah. more so than perhaps it's, it's, it has here. We've maybe been chastened in the UK by our experience so. of empire, which mm-hmm. <laughs> which we've kind of lost really now. And, and as a result, we've, we've, we've kind of lost our pretensions to being a sort of chosen nation, but it's still there in, in other parts of the world. It's still there. And I, I found that some of the... I tried to look at the roots of it rather than, like as I said, look at specific countries because I saw the pattern repeated over and over. And I didn't want to write... You know, Soren Kierkegaard versus Billy Graham or Soren Kierkegaard versus George Bush. I didn't want to write that kind of thesis. I wanted to look at some of the ideas that keep coming up. And and I looked at this idea of the progression of history. And um, is that really a Christian way of thinking of it? Do we, do we really think that the, the more advanced um, mankind becomes, the closer to God they get? Um, do we really think that uh, that the incarnation was is any more true or any more true? interesting or any more relevant uh, 2,000 years after it happened than 30 seconds after it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's those kind of questions that you have to look at and say, is it really the case that Christianity is tied to the success, the rising and falling of certain cultures and civilizations? Mm-hmm. But you, even if you don't want to say that, Stephen, you might want to say something. I mean, Christianity does have a critique and a vision of how a just society should work. Mm. And it's very difficult... Um, when you're trying to, to think how how we promote some kind of a Christian understanding of society, um, you're bound to do it in 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 the culture that you're in. Mm. Um, and so, for the moment, I mean, at the moment, we seem to identify that with democracy. Mm. Um, so, you know, the, the desire to bring democracy or impose democracy um, on other societies gets identified with a, a particular sort of mission to. Um, to, to make the world a better place for people. Mm. Um, and you can see that although it has drawbacks in that one is limited in, in the cultural spectrum that you live in, you can still see that there is an, it needn't be a wholly bad thing, need it? Right. And this is, I'm glad you brought that up actually, because I really want to stress I'm not anti countries or anti nations. I just don't like the idolatrous of a nation. Mm-hmm. I, what I think and what Kicker was interested in as well was trying to find a right relationship to your country and, and refusing to sign on to seeing your country as, as God, essentially, mm-hmm. or seeing your country as all sovereign and all absolute mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you want to destroy everything that your country's ever done or that you, you hate your country. It just means you don't want to relate to your country as if it was God. Mm-hmm. And so I like to substitute the, the idea of the neighborhood for the idea of the nation. And so you love your neighbor and your neighbor won't necessarily be always your your co-national. Mm. As indeed in the story of the Good Samaritan. Exactly, mm. exactly. A question really comes to mind. I couldn't think of many who would say consciously that their nation is a god. At what point does it become idolatry, mm. nationalism? How do you define that? Right, I mean, there's there's clear... Obvious examples where people say my country right or wrong, and that still happens ar- around the world today. Um, but there's less obvious ones. So if you give, 
If you give your country the... If it becomes the ground and source of your being, if you find all your identity in the, the cultural productions <clears throat> of your country, then you are giving to a human invention, which is what countries are, which is fine, they serve a good purpose, but you're giving to that human invention something that properly, I think, as a Christian, you there's something beyond that. God is the ground and source of our being. It's not... The country doesn't tell you what your destiny is. Most nationalisms use destiny language. They talk about that uh, they have a, a destiny and that they're bringing their people along with it. Mm. Most nationalisms demand that you give up your individual um, needs and rights and identity in order for the whole, for the greater good. Mm. And I think that that very often leads to demanding things of, of a person, especially of a Christian person, which a Christian shouldn't give. Well, idols always demand sacrifices, don't they? Yeah. Now, there's a proper sense in which people have sacrificed their lives, you know, in the Second World War, whatever. But but it shouldn't be for the nation. It should yeah. be for the cause of freedom or, or whatever it may be. Uh, and I think one of the signs that something is acting idolatrously is when it demands that people sacrifice themselves for it. But part of the problem, that presumably, that you're talking about, Stephen, is that um, one as- you assume that the ideals of your nation are Christian ideals because they're the ideals of your nation and your nation is a Christian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so it it becomes part of the problem is, is critiquing the ideals that your nation stands for from a Christian point of view. Is that... But obviously, no nation really is a Christian nation. Right. You cannot have a Christian nation if you think that Christianity... To be a real Christian means to have some sort of relationship to God in Jesus Christ. Now, a nation can't have that relationship. A nation can be made up of Christians or have Christians in it. But a group of people cannot have the personal relationship to a personal God that Christianity demands. I mean, patriotism, patriotism is a... It's a very interesting thing, isn't it? Because uh, you think of the early part of the 20th century, which you could characterize as a very patriotic... Which country are we talking about here? Well, I think you can think of a number of countries. Okay. I mean, say in the First World War, you know, the kind of whole ideal of, you know, pro-patria mori, dying for your country, was a mm. big motivation in in going to war at that point. Um, but also, I suppose, in, in the the sort of struggle for freedom in countries across the world from the empires that had built up in the 18th and 19th century. Patriotism was a very strong motivating force there. I mean, thinking of thinking of Ireland, for example, where all sort of my ancestors came from, you know, mm-hmm. there was a lot of very sort of spiritualized patriotism in people like Patrick Pierce, the guy who, you know, helped to um, get the 1916 rising going. And so, you know, you, you could argue that actually in the the kind of emergence of countries from um, the oppression of the big empires patriotism was quite a strong force to enable them to find freedom and self-determination and and uh, and so on so um now same time you could also argue that it it led to all kinds of complications and as it did in ireland of course over the course of the 20th century um but it's quite a you know there there is that side of patriotism that it actually did um you know you could argue that it, it it did actually serve a useful purpose in one sense in that it inspired a number of nations to to actually say hang on a minute you know we don't we're not just content with just being a, a sort of um a small country mm. in a large empire we want our own freedom we want our own um self-determination problem is though that that, that 
there's an inevitable you see it again and again and i won't go into all the details now but you do actually see it again and again that these this nationalistic drive to self-determination always breeds another group within that nation who also wants to be self-determined and it's a kind of continual process of basically antagonism against other people which again is because they don't look like you or sound like you when it really comes down to it that's what it's about Mm. now yes that's true yes that's the way nations work yes that's the way politics works i wouldn't i'm not denying that i'm just saying Mm. when you baptize that with christian language Mm. you've Mm. actually probably given up one of the amazing Mm. prophetic witnesses that christianity Mm. stands against some of Mm. that that Mm. cycle and and witness the new testament's kind of moving from uh, belonging to the people of god being basically right a, a matter of race right to it being a matter of faith and, and that's part of what's going on in john the baptist you know god can raise up children of abraham from these stones that's not yeah. the point yeah. um, through through jesus and paul yeah. um to the people of god being something that is not identified racially or geographically oh uh, the neighbor is this wonderful christian invention i mean the neighborhood is this amazing thing which is not your neighbor is not defined by whether he or she looks like you sounds like you has the same ancestors as you mm. has the same blood as you mm. your neighbor is some your your responsibility towards your neighbor is because that per, is a real person in you know in front of god it's this amazing and in real invention. need and right in front of you yeah and right yeah. in front of you really mm. easy to define another thing that bothers me about national and patriotism is it looks like it's really obvious it's really obvious who a who a canadian is i'm canadian you know i was born in canada it's, it's, you'd think that's really obvious or do you think it's really obvious who an englishman is but of course it's not I mean, where does scotland end and england begin it's very ambiguous around particularly the particularly if you live in berwick yeah right exactly i mean and nationalisms everywhere are actually quite ambiguous and they are actually always uh people are always drawing a circle around it saying you're not a real dane i'm a real dane or you're not a real uh, mm. spanish Aryan, you know Aryan, i'm a real Aryan. you know it just keeps happening again and again now it doesn't always erupt into violence but it is always based on some sort is of there, exclusion is, is there a distinction to be made do you think between nationalism and patriotism in the that um i'm mean, i'm just thinking of a um a comment which Nicky Gumbel was, was referring to in a sermon on Sunday, G.K. Chesterton, which was that that patriotism is fine as long as it's irrational. It's when it becomes rational that it's a problem. <laughs> uh, in other words, that you know, to be patriotic about your country, right, where you were born, right, um, you know, you support them at football or cricket or whatever it is or rugby, um, that's fine. It's only when you start trying to rationalise that, when you try to say, well, that might I support my country because it's better than the others. Or because yeah. you know, we are a superior race, or because our education system is better, or, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Once you start to rationalise it, it becomes a problem. As long as it's irrational, in other words, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just where I was born. It's, it's, you know, where my my, my ancestors come from. Yeah. You know, it's no. I know it's no better than any other country, but it's just me. That's okay. It's when it's when you start to kind of add reasons for why you like it. That's, it that's the problem. So, and that if you like, that's patriotism. That's yeah. nationalism. When it you know, when it's almost my nation is better than the others, whereas patriotism, one could argue, is a slightly more sort of benign form of the same thing, which is, you know, I, I kind of like the place I was born and where my where my ancestors came from, and I, I have a loyalty to it. It's like the Flanders and Swan song, isn't it? The English are moral, the English are good, the English are clever and misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry, that takes you away. Is, is that fair? I, I, do you, I am, do you, when, I, when I do my work, I'm very aware that I'm standing against G.K. Chesterton, C.S. Lewis, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I mean, <laughs> there are some pretty big names, pretty wise people, actually, mm. who, who, who think patriotism is, is a good thing. Um, I'm less interest. I less agree with them. For one thing, I don't think patriotism and nationalism are quite as distinct as, as you'd like to say, and I think a lot of time patriotism ends up using nationalist language or rationality mm. more often than patriots would like to admit. Mm. Um, I also don't think it's a... I mean, it's, patriotism is, is not a Christian virtue. It's a mm-hmm. pagan Greek virtue. I mean, the, mm-hmm. that's where it came from. And it's not in any of the lists of virtues in the New no, Testament. No, it's not. I mean, yep. so I don't feel any sort of great Christian desire to protect patriotism at all costs because mm. it's not listed... I mean, if, if anything, it, it often is a vice. But there'll be plenty, though, wouldn't there, who, who feel glad to be X, Y, Z, American, yeah. English, yeah. and where that's fine in, in some ways. But where, where do you draw the line? Where does it become unhealthy? Where, where can yeah. I, as, a, as an Englishman, as I was living in Germany for so long, pining after my tea bags and being very proud of Tetlis, <laughs> yeah. when does that become idolatrous? Or supporting your football team, your national football team or your yeah, team or whatever. Right. Is that okay? I just feel like if we're Christians, we need to take a bit more of a sober view of the world. And that I think we need to be honest with ourselves and where we are and where we came from. And maybe that's one of our responsibilities, which a lot of people who maybe aren't Christians don't, don't think about. And I feel like if you're going to be proud to be English... It's dishonest if you're not also taking on board a lot of the other things that went into being English. I mean, so when you say you're proud to be English, you list good things like tea and football. And, and we don't grow things. tea in England. But you don't mean, you don't mean, I'm proud that we participated in the partition between India and Pakistan. I'm proud that we participated in the, in the Indian yeah. wars or slavery. I mean, yeah. and I'm not trying to be revisionist here. I'm just saying being mm. English means all those things. Mm-hmm. Being American means mm-hmm. many things beyond just all the good things that America brings. And it's just another way of saying we're fallen, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's exactly. going to be good things and bad things exactly. about any group, yeah. any mm-hmm. individual, any... Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that that is worthy of my love or I'm not supposed to kill or die. I don't feel any desire to kill or die for that thing. But so, this is... Sorry, Graham. This is presumably a, a very emotive subject at the moment in a lot of... Um, in a lot of countries, but, but but and particularly in Britain, um, where um, the whole question of how we form our identities seems mm. increasingly under threat in a in an increasingly mobile society, mm. where people from all um, original different nations are living together, mm. uh, and it seems to me that there's more pressure at the moment to to be proud of being British, whatever that might be, mm. because we otherwise don't quite know who we are. Yeah. So, so it's also a question of how we form our identity, isn't it? And, and as Christians, we might want to say something about that. Yeah, I, 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 I would draw a line here. I, I did some work recently. I looked at. I was looking for Theos, this think tank, mm. and I looked at Gordon Brown and his his rhetoric about patriotism and citizenship. And I started to do some research, and I realised that good patriots and good citizens are two very different things. And that often some of the the nations with the largest amount of signed-up, flag-waving pa- patriots fall quite short when it comes to actually being a good citizen. So voting, caring for your local neighbourhood, being on boards, you know, doing all the things that you would 
need to do to get a country to run. Those two things are often not actually combined. That's and so our politicians yeah. use, we must have patriotic language, we must love our nation if we're going to unite you know, all these immigrants together, when actually that doesn't work that way. So are you then arguing that, um, that actually as, as a Christian, I need to, 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 to be loyal to my neighborhood rather than my yeah. country? Very much. And I are think you saying neighbourhood or neighbour? I mean, is that are you talking about a local area or are you talking about people that you meet? In the first instance, your local area. Right. In the very first instance, your local area. But uh, the, the logic of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is that your neighbour becomes whoever's need you become aware of as well. It can be extended further. But I think that we've kind of, you know, give it, we've kind of gone over the the heads of the good old-fashioned neighborhood, and yet mm. my street mm. and my actual neighbors are the real well, it, people. D- doesn't it also out. need a kind of further, I mean, maybe you do this anyway, but a further definition of what that loyalty and and um, attachment means? Because, I mean, for example, a, a kind of slightly um, odd form of it would be, you know, the culture that you find in young people in South London, where you, yeah. where you know you're attached to your your postcode, yeah. and if anyone else from, from from another postcode wanders into yours, you stab them and 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 yeah. they end up in hospital or dead. Yeah, which you could argue being to be a form of loyalty to your neighbour. Well, it's tribalism, um, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah, I, right, I, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I take that that you can take loyalty to your neighbourhood in a pathological direction as well. But, but isn't yeah. isn't isn't it that any of these things, if exalted to yeah. a, a, you know a position. Uh, yeah. ultimate position becomes idolatrous and yeah. and violent um you know but on the other hand we are shaped by a number of things we're shaped by our families um we're shaped by our where we went to mm. school we're shaped by our job we're shaped by our country that our identities are bound up in those sorts of things and those are okay as long as they don't become ultimate mm. uh, as long as we recognize they're fallen it's not my family right or wrong it's mm. not my country right or wrong mm-hmm. um or even my actually, neighborhood right or wrong or even my neighborhood right yeah. or wrong that you need something an ultimate allegiance um, to something mm. that's not an idol yeah mm. um otherwise so that all those are relativized they're not demonized not bad, that's exactly but the they're right relativized word. they're relativized which is exactly the word that you need yeah. to remember but yeah. uh, if you relativize all those kind of things um most people most people's instinct it seems to me then is to is, is simply to say well i don't know what it is proper for me to to belong to and what can properly demand my sacri- my self sacrifice and so on and therefore i won't be bothered about anything else except myself and that seems to me mm-hmm. Um, the opposite trend that one sees around nowadays is people are not patriotic very much. They don't um, commit to churches. They don't commit to any group bigger than than their own immediate family unit. And and there's an extraordinary selfishness. Yeah. Um, and 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 how how you build a um, a commitment to something outside yourself that is not idolatrous that is that that you can relativize. Mm. Um, it seems to me we haven't actually got the tools for doing that. Well, that's precisely why I imagine or reflects Jesus' ambivalence and his teaching about the family. On the one hand, you get, you know, he who does not hate mother, father, <laughs> whatever, um, and, and have a higher commitment to him is is you know, that's a problem. On the other hand, somebody who sees that their religious duty as being more important than looking after their family mm. um, is also castigated mm. by Jesus. So there is a real tension there, it seems to me. Uh, and it's, I think it's to do with this, where your ultimate allegiance yeah. lies. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, what the Apostle Paul said here in uh, Philippians 3, 
where he had a reason to mm. boast yeah. of his extraordinary background of the tribe of yeah. Benjamin. And this was not mm. a tribe that went into exile. He had, he, uh, it was a southern tribe, one of the ones that remained. Mm. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Mm. And he said he could boast in these things. But at the end of the day, all of these he considered as rubbish, or how are they going <laughs> to translate that <laughs> word? A stronger word than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's hardly, he was hardly a patriot, Paul. Yep. Yeah. You know. Which but is partly why he gets into trouble. Yeah. But at the same time, he could also slip into a bit of uh, national nationalism, if you could call it that, at least in identifying others. Yeah. In Titus, you, you've got this famous passage, yeah. all Cretans are liars. Well, if, if he wrote <laughs> yeah, Titus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe <laughs> he could have read your thesis. <laughs> well, what, I, what I like about Paul, and this is a model I'd love to, to, I wish Christians would look at a bit more, is he was so open-handed about it. When when it suited the gospel purposes, he would start using Roman language and he'd claim his Roman citizenship. When it suited the gospel purpose, he'd be a Jew for the Jew and a Greek for the Greek. And he 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 would say that you know his kinsmen of his of the blood were his great priority, you know, in in Romans. But then later on, he would he would say, I consider it well, I won't say the word, but he <laughs> would consider it rubbish, as we say in our polite <laughs> translation. He he was open-handed. We need to look at. What was his real attitude towards these national cultural things? Mm-hmm. Sometimes he thought they were good, but other times he didn't think they were good. Yeah. And he, was, he relativized them, which is a really important yeah, And I'm just, just thinking of um, Hebrews 11, which maybe you've, you've, you've thought, of, thought about as well. But, um, but there's a quite interesting thing there about you know, these, these people who, who were looking for a country of their own. And uh, if they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. That's Hebrews 11, mm-hmm. 15 and 16. And I suppose that, that idea of uh, another country, um, and you know, we don't want to slip into a sort of dualism there, no, sort yeah. of another place, but, yeah. but it seems right. to be it's talking about an, a, a loyalty to something other than one's own country. Yeah, which is something to do with the people of God, something to do with the kingdom of God, the coming, the, the coming, coming country, the coming exactly, kingdom, the yeah. coming country, rather than a one up in the one sky. Yeah, exactly. Similar to Paul again, you know, being a citizen of heaven, which is much yep. misunderstood. I think this passage. Right. It's certainly not the dualism that many take it to be, but yep. there again, this eschatological mm. hope, and it is a belonging to something other than the immediate structures in which we are born and w- yeah. to which we be- rightly belong. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Which, but, but what I like about what you're saying, Stephen, is that doesn't then say to all of us right so it doesn't matter we don't need to be committed to the place where we live you're actually saying that that requires a, a different kind of commitment from us yeah to the place that we live so it's not sort of sitting loose to all our citizenship not duties at not at all i think citizenship is the wonderful christian endeavor patriotism maybe not so much mm. fascinating very interesting indeed thank you Stephen. So much for coming in. And good luck with the Viva. Yeah, exactly. We all hope well, you do. We've just given you, a, given, just given you a little Viva, a little training there. <laughs> exactly, great. Well, um, uh, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today for GodPod37. Uh, we're conscious a lot of people have been sending in emails and stuff, and we haven't really looked at those for a little while, but we're hopefully in the next couple of GodPods have some time to look at some of those questions. So um, uh, goodbye from Jane. Goodbye. And Stephen. Goodbye. And Mike. And goodbye. And Chris. Bye-bye. And uh, we will... Um, Goodbye from you, Graham. Yeah, and from me as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, me too. And uh, we will uh, hear you again. Or, well, me, you may hear from us again for GodPod 38. That was GodPod, a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. 
We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye.